Um, okay. Good evening, everyone, and uh, and good to good to know that you're here. I was going to say good to see you. That's what I usually say when when, I, when I'm at church. So it's usually good to see you. But but uh, but welcome for everybody that's joining online. I feel like a bit of a rock star. I've got a really bright light in front of me now because last week I thought it was a little bit too dark. So hopefully this one will uh, will turn up okay. Let's um, let's open in a word of prayer. We'll get started with the. Uh, part four of our series on the time of the signs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord. We thank you, Father, for the word of God. We thank you, Lord, for its truth. We thank you, dear Lord, that we can know it and we can live it. And I pray, dear Lord, that we would be able to share it. I ask you, dear Father, that you would work your work within each one of us and those that are also listening that we might be tuned to the scriptures, that we might turn to the book of books and that we might glorify your name in and through it. I ask you, dear Lord, that you would please be with me as I preach this word this evening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The, um, the message that we're looking at today, it, of all the messages that I've got to, to preach on uh, with regards to this series, this is probably the most heartbreaking and heartbreaking because the very institution that the Bible teaches is to bring the word of God to many will be the very institution that will fall away. It'll turn away from the truth of God's word. It'll turn away from the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ and it will bring in so much error that many, many people are going to fall by the wayside as a result. And the tragedy is that this is happening in in such a large scale that, um, well, there, there, there are no denominations that I'm aware of that you could go to and you could say with absolute confidence, I can walk into that church and know for certainty that they are going to be preaching the very word of God and not adding an admixture. Now, admittedly, there are no perfect churches, and uh, and there certainly are no perfect churches. It's filled with imperfect people. Um, imperfect pastors take the pulpit. It's not about that. We are earthen vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the glory might be of God and not of us. Nevertheless, we are duty bound to preach the word of God, and sadly. I'm finding that this is very, very few and far between. Um, and even among independent Baptist churches, we're seeing such a, a beginning of a falling away and a falling away that I can see so clearly um, because I was already a part of uh, fallen churches um, in, in the past and I can see the same things that they did already beginning within independent Baptist. Actually, it, not only beginning, it's, it's been festering under the surface for some time. So it's a real, it's a real tragedy. As I mentioned in the, in the message previous to this, if you don't have the word of God as your final authority, as your foundation, as your absolute, it's a matter of time before error is going to come in. And it's a matter of time before Christians themselves will accept that error. There is, a, uh, there is a seed of apostasy within, within the church and potentially a seed of apostasy within every individual in a church. And that seed is called apathy. It's apathy on the word of God. It's, it's a disregard 
for the word of God to the point that you don't make it a priority within your life to devour this book, to, to read it, to, be a, to have it a part of your daily diet. In the scriptures, it's known as the bread of life. And in the Old Testament, they would gather their bread every day, just enough for them to eat, no more, no less. And it was every day, and, it's a, and, it's, and that itself is a metaphor for how we are to be looking at the Scriptures. It is the Word of God that we feast on, and it is through that book that we grow. Without that, we will find ourselves um, with this seed of apathy growing within us. So the question to you is, has it, has it germinated? Is it, it's there, there's no doubt. It has it germinated. Are you, are you feeding that apathy or are you feeding the word of, yourself on the word of God? How much of this apostasy is beginning to also grow in you because you're starting to take on things that are outside of the scriptures as your truth rather than testing it according to the scriptures? Well, this is, this is the modern church. This is part of the falling away. Let's uh, turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll read from verse, verse 1 to 8. It's the text from which we, uh, we gain this particular passage from. Paul speaking to the Thessalonians here and he says this. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was with you I told you these things. And now you know that what withholdeth, that he, now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Amen. Paul, <coughs> Paul refers here to the falling away of the church. This isn't the rapture of the church. There are individuals who believe that they come a falling away first. They've interpreted that as the rapture. The word is apostasy in the Greek and it's also come for us to be able to know that this is a falling away. This is a turning away from the truth. Uh, and that's well understood within, within our daily language. It's a turning away from the truth and it's a turning to, to fables. Uh, Paul speaks about that when he's dealing with and he's speaking to Timothy. This falling away has to be evident. It's a sign. It's a sign of the time. It was, it was what Paul was speaking to the Thessalonians about that they would be able to identify and recognize. It was something that, they should, that should be evident to them. You know, That day shall not come. What day? What day is he referring to? That day. 
That is the day of the Lord. That's the day of Jesus Christ, the day of God's wrath, the day of vengeance of our God. It's that day. When it refers to that day, that's the only day because it's a day unlike any other. That day will not come except there be a falling away first. Then that uh, man of sin be revealed. So you've got a progressive sequence of events here that doesn't seem to have too much of a break in between them. So we have no idea how much of that break is going to be. But we know that this falling away is the apostasy of the church. It's the church that has rejected the truth of the word of God, that's rejected the hope that is found within the scriptures and has been turned to fables. There is a... um, There's often confusion with regards to the passages of Scripture because what tends to happen is many people would look at a given verse and they will try and build their doctrine from that verse without considering the rest of the Bible. And you need to be considering the rest of the Bible. Um, A number of months ago, we did a series on the seven churches of Revelation. That's that's on our website for any of those who are are desiring to see that. It's it's quite a... uh, Uh, an interesting series especially with regards to the video because within that I embed a lot of um, other information within those videos to really give you a good picture on those seven churches and those seven churches are incredible it's a report card it's found in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 and it seems to be a well it doesn't seem to be it is a report card there is a series of letters that are get to go to these churches that the Lord Jesus Christ himself has authored He's given it to the angels that are overseeing those churches and he's giving them the report card about them. And what is found within them is an interesting sequence of events. Every single one of those churches are historical churches. Not only are there historical churches, seven of them, they are also seven types of churches. There's there's something unique about those churches that separate them from other churches, not so much their location or their city name, but how they have uh, received the word of God and the report card that the Lord Jesus Christ is giving them. Not only, though, are they historical churches at a point in time in history, and not only are they seven types of churches that are given to us, but they also seem to be seven unique periods of history that have those churches manifested. I won't say dominated, I'll say manifested. These churches have risen up within those particular areas, um, within those particular eras of, of, of that time frame. And not only that, not only do we have these seven churches that are general churches, not only do we have seven church types, not only have, do we have a, a, a period of church history that resembles each of those churches, but they are all in sequential order, going from the first church to the last. Because when we examine them with this, this hindsight view of history, we're seeing that each of these churches were dominant, dominant, manifested themselves within these specific periods of time, one after the other. And the fascinating thing about that is if you looked at them on a map and you had a letter and you were starting at Ephesus, you would simply go in a clockwise direction and find yourself all the way to Laodicea. (laughs) They're in an order, perfect order. And I, I just love how the Lord lays out history that way. It's incredible. The last church is the church of Laodicea. 
And that is without doubt the church that dominates the falling away. It is the church that dominates these days that we are in today. So is the falling away a sign of the times? Are we living in the time of the falling away? Well, that's what this message is, is to be able to prepare you to, to see for yourself. The description of that particular church is not difficult to see. We see it referenced in Laodicea. We also see it in reality. It is the church of telling people what they want to hear. It is the church of prosperity, one that thinks it is rich and has need of nothing. It is the church of amusement and entertainment. It is the church of signs and wonders. It is the church of self-love and iniquity. It is the church essentially of do as thou wilt. Anybody who knows that phrase recognise that that was written by Alistair Crowley. And it is the church of today. It is the church where the sermon takes a back seat in the service. But there is no growth within the individuals within the service because the sermon itself takes the back seat to the music and to the entertainment and to everything else that goes on behind the scenes in order to scratch people where they might be itching. This is the environment that we find ourselves within these, these churches. Churches of 15 to 20 minute sermonettes that are given rather than anything that's, that's well founded in scripture and deep theologically. Now that, look, that might not be a bad thing um, for the pastors who are unbiblical in their preaching. Perhaps limiting them to 15 minutes is not a bad thing. Perhaps they shouldn't be there preaching at all would be a better thing. But what I find is funny about these particular pastors, however, I've heard more than once of pastors saying, you know, less is more. Less is more. They're giving this impression that somehow that the, 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 their, their preaching is so concentrated and so, and, so, um, and so deep in theological meaning, you've got a, you've got a, you've got a concentrated cordial of theology and doctrine. Uh, for which the people can go back later on and, and chew over. But in reality, we find this exact opposite. We find the exact opposite is the case. Not only is there no doctrine, but it's but whatever doctrine is there is watered down. It's diluted. So it's 15 minutes and 20 minutes of sermonettes that really say nothing about the Word of God and the doctrines that are found within it. It's fruit. Well, as we go on, we might be able to see some of its fruit and you can judge for yourselves. Paul says, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even in the days of Paul, there was this mystery of iniquity. It was going on, it was functioning. People were early turning away from the sound of the doctrine and turning to fables. Paul wrote that we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. So even in his day, there were many that corrupted the word of God. So again, that's not a surprising thing. Yet there is something that has changed. And Peter brings that out in that passage of 2 Peter. I mentioned this one this morning. 
that there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. This is speaking of a time yet future to, to Peter. And shall bring upon themselves swift destruction and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. This is that time frame. We're living in the time of the falling away. That's the title of the message. It's the title of this point this morning or this evening, this first point. But Peter goes on to say, and he says this incredibly in verse 12. He speaks to the pastors. He speaks to these false teachers and he says, but these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of those things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. These are harsh words, incredibly harsh words. I think anything that I would have to say with regards to these sort of churches is, is, is nothing compared to what Peter is saying in the New Testament. He says in verse 13, And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way, and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. These individuals preach a gospel that will keep them employed. They preach a gospel that concerns themselves, exalts themselves, lifts up themselves, and prospers themselves. They glory themselves, and they have themselves lifted up before a holy God as if they are something. And they draw all people to themselves and not to Christ. He concludes and he says, These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For, for of whom a man is overcome of the same as he is brought in bondage. Read Second Peter chapter 2. Spend some time and go through that and have a look at the end result of many of these godless men who are leading many of the churches today. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that all of these churches that are falling away are filled with pulpits of godless men. Please understand, I'm not saying that they're, not, that they're lost and I don't think the Bible intends to say that either. I think what you're finding is that there is a distinction. There will be that separation of the sheep and the goats in the last days. There will be that separation of the tares and the wheat. We can't identify which of these are born again today or which are not. But certainly any who are not preaching the word of God and are holding towards entertainments and those sort of means for the edification of themselves will find themselves given account before God. Our longing, our greatest longing that we should all be having is to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I, and I fear for many of these pastors. Jeremiah says, Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Jeremiah 23, 1-2. Is the falling away today? 
Are the sheep being scattered today? Are the people of God growing in holiness or are they growing in corruption? Now, to some of these, they're growing in corruption because of their own undoing, not necessarily from that which is coming from the pulpit, but there needs to be a hunger and a thirst for the word of God first and foremost, that they might be convicted of sin. What is their witness of Christ to the lost? Is the falling away a sign for today? The iniquity of many. A second point this evening. This know also. Second Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 5. Paul, again speaking, he's writing to Timothy, a pastor, and he speaks about something fascinating with regards to the last days. Have a look at what he says. He says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away, he says. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. You know, it might come as a surprise to you. It might come as a surprise to, to many people that, that Paul here is not speaking about the world. He's not addressing the world in this. He's not speaking to the world in this. He's speaking about the nature of the church in the last days. Get your head around that. He's speaking to Timothy. He's speaking to and and writing to a pastor. You see, these characteristics that we have in here, this isn't unusual for the world. The world has always been like this. But this is something that's unique with respect to the church. He's speaking about this in the last days. The world was always like this, but not the church. This is a description of the church in those days. And... Timothy is being warned about that which is to come. He tells him in the next chapter, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And this is just, it's one of the most tragic things that I can, that I can think of. And this is the this is the state of the church. I mean, the church is instead of instead of instead of preaching the word of God, instead of doing that, it's um, it's it's doing the opposite. It's 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 teaching. I don't know what it's doing. But the end result of that, the end effect of that, is that 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 people will not endure now sound doctrine because they don't they don't see any benefit for them. They don't see any benefit for themselves. The Bible says, and, and, and Paul describes these times as perilous times. He refers to the people here as lovers of their own selves. They don't have a love for God, they have a love for their own selves. It was Jesus who actually wrote about this in, in Matthew 24. You remember, he says, he speaks about many prophets shall rise and deceive many. And then he says in verse 12, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. The love of many will wax cold. How close are you to this? 
How close are you to having your love being waxed cold? Because there is not a love for the truth anymore. There is not a desire for sound doctrine anymore. There is not a desire for the word of God anymore. Is there evidence of this within the church today? Is there evidence of this in you? And I know what it's like, beloved. I know what it's like. I've had my fair shares of backsliding. But I also know that there's no other turning to. There's no turning to to me. There's turning to the Lord. And he's the one that gives us the joy and the hope that we desire. And Paul says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Many of the youth today believe that they are the centre of the world. These are those who are manifesting the truth of this passage today. Sadly enough, those youth are going to grow to be adults and many adults are also demonstrating that same nature, lovers of their own selves more than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof, the scripture says. But now something else is happening. There is the natural tendency of the youth to exalt themselves, to think of themselves more highly than they ought to think, is also being spurred on. It's almost like there's an engine there that's driving them to further narcissistic endeavours. And this has been put on by an organisation that we recognise today, a part of the Laodicean church type. It's a movement known as the New Apostolic Reformation, or NAR is what it's referred as. These individuals have a focus of their message that relates specifically to young people. It exalts the youth who are already thinking of themselves too highly. It's interesting, you know. It's interesting because when we exalt the youth, the young people, when we exalt children and we lift them up and we put them on pedestals that they themselves already place themselves on, when we solidify that foundation for them rather than let time go by and that foundation slowly crumbles under them, we solidify and build up that foundation, propping them up on these pedestals. These children, the Bible says, in judgment to an apostate world or to an apostate people of God will judge them. The children themselves will be their rulers. I'm sorry, but if you're going to be putting your child as a captain over you, then then the child is going to take advantage of that. He's going to govern over you. He's going to rule over you. This isn't my imagination. Isaiah chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. And I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. And the people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbour. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient and the base, against the honourable. It's, it's an easy enough text to remember. Isaiah 3, 4, 5. Right? Isaiah chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Isaiah 3, 4, 5. Remember that. Remember that because that is exactly a perfect picture of what is happening in the world today. The avenue of argument that's being actually employed by these individuals to convince the young is an emphasis on experience and not on the Bible. So the Bible has to be set aside. We take it off the pulpit, we put it underneath, we ignore it completely. 
We'll leave it to the side. Matter of fact, it's even distasteful to have a pulpit. So they need to push the pulpit away because that's a picture of authority. You see, you can't have a picture of authority in these churches. So the guys just speak extemporaneously and they obviously have no biblical reference that they turn to that is in context. So they draw the emphasis on experience and not on the Bible. And they draw people through emotion and not on Scripture. And the focus is on feelings and not on the Word of God. It can't be on the Word of God, you see, because if you paid attention at the previous message, you'd recognise that if the focus was on the Word of God, they would be able to understand that they're being lied to because the Word of God is a lie detector. It displaces deceit. The focus was when you remove the scriptures, the focus then is on deceiving the individuals. And the way of being able to do that is, number one, remove the word of God from them. Number two, desensitize them. Desensitize them to the truth. And guess what the tool is that's used in the modern churches today? Yeah, I heard you all cry out. Music. Music. Music, a mantra and seductive style of music that is employed has this wonderful effect of dulling the mind and lowering their God. And the youth are the focus of this. Let's have a look at this, uh, this particular message. The uh, NAR is very much youth-oriented. We see it especially with uh, Mike Bickle and the IHOP movement. Very much at the heart of the NAR is an appeal and an outreach to the youth who genuinely, if you were to ask them, love the Lord, but they're given counterfeit. They are given experience. They are given those what they would see as tangible things that are not biblical. They're not being pointed by these churches to read the Word of God, to find out whether or not the experience is valid or reasonable. They don't point them to the Scripture in any way at all. They point to the signs and the wonders as its own self-evidence. They don't have the, the Scripture as their guide. From there, once they have them believing that they are part of this kingdom work that is going on, they see themselves as being able to usher in that kingdom, which is contrary to Jesus' own teaching. In Bible-believing churches, we understand that the Holy Spirit's at work. He's drawing men to Christ. He indwells us at salvation. He comes upon us to give us those giftings and that power to, to do the things that Christ has asked us to do. But we don't make the emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, He won't speak of Himself. He's going to glorify Christ. He's going to give us a greater understanding of Christ. He's the Spirit of truth. He's going to guide us and lead us into all truth. And the greatest work of the Holy Spirit is when you open your Bible and you're reading, that Spirit of truth is working in your mind and in your heart to make sure that we understand and rightly divide the Word of God. The promise to them is that this new generation of youth, as they gather them in these conferences, they talk to them about being unique. There's never been a generation like you. You're that end time apostle and you're that end time move of the Holy Spirit and you're unique. There's never been anyone quite like your generation. Now you say that enough times to that group of people, then they start to believe that there's something is unique about them, that they are somehow different and there's never been anybody quite like them. Now you tell them that they will also be empowered with giftings and signs and wonders superior to anything that had been seen before. It's intoxicating. It's something that will get quite a 
uh, quite a, in their words, a revival going. People excited about them being part of something that is unique and never, never been seen before. Focus is the youth. The tool that's used is, is music. And that's not unusual because music has the ability of having people enter into an altered state of, of consciousness. It changes how they feel about things. It changes how they think about things. And once they are in that altered state, it's very easy to manipulate them. Another clip. One of the biggest things in this movement, in the Bethel movement, the new outpouring, the new thing, was that the music was all brand new. It was all music that was based on uh, a personal relationship between you and God. And the thing that kept evolving that I noticed was, and for me personally, is they really involved the drums and the drum beat. That's what really kind of woke something up in me, which worried me a little bit because it was dragging me back to the uh, cultural stuff that I came out of. Some of the music would sound like Native American music, and the strange thing for me coming from the reservation was that when they would set that music up, I would feel a pull in my heart to, to uh, just start doing the dancing that I was accustomed to on the reservation. But the strange thing for me also was that other people would begin to dance like that and I would think, they're not Native American, I don't, you know what I mean? It was like it was waking things up in people. One of the dangers of modern technology and the music, for example, as it's used in the church, is that through the manipulation of that music and that technology, it can become a substitute, an emotionalized substitute for genuine understanding and communing with the living God. And that is a ter terrible danger. It becomes a substitute for true worship. And it has nothing to do with bringing the focus or the heart of the individual to hear the word of the living God and becomes more a vehicle for entertainment or manipulating the audience so that they're slipped into an altered state of consciousness through repetition in which they no longer are applying critical analytical thinking to the message being presented. The Bible speaks of, um, of Satan as being able to manifest himself as an angel of light. You know, we've seen at the previous message, how people came to believe that there were those who believed that they were Jesus Christ. And we'd seen so many of these individuals being successful in that endeavor and being able to persuade more than enough people that they are Jesus Christ. Satan can manifest himself as an angel of light. These are counterfeits, and this is a counterfeit way. Because again, it dulls the senses and it, it opens up an opportunity for some, some, some fairly wicked endeavours that can actually enter into the church. And this was something that I came out of. Remember that the Lord Jesus Christ said, take heed that no man deceive you. But sadly, this will fall on deaf ears in the falling away church, the layer to see in church. Satan is indeed a counterfeit. But Satan is a counterfeit. The Bible says we need to be aware of him because he can transform himself into an angel of light. We have to be discerning. That's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is to have that discernment. And we have to be those who are wise enough in the scripture to judge what is being said. 
we see that in the New Apostolic Reformation, dreams and visions are very front and center. It's a, it's a large part of what they do. Part of getting into that type of a state where you can have visions, you can have dreams and, and be altered in your states comes through the vehicle of music. Music is used as a very powerful medium to bring about those states. They do the music in such a way and the songs are, are written and sung in such a way as to produce that altered state. You see it on the faces of the people who are participating in it. A song that should take two to three minutes goes on for 10, 12, 15 minutes and you find people transfixed and you see that there is something going on behind the scenes. These ecstasies that you see taking place. There's a, manifest, there's a manifesting of, of wickedness that actually happens in individuals. And this is one of the things that actually occurs when the Word of God is separated from them and when iniquity within the hearts of individuals lead them to reject the Scriptures and accept such sin and error and a manifestation of this, of this flesh because it does its work within people's lives with regardless to whether you know it or not. Music has an effect on us. It was, um, it was one of the lead guitarists of the Rolling Stones and who, who said that when the music enters into your ears, you have no control of what it's going to do to you. And people can manipulate the music in an incredible way to get to the point that it was like that. Joanna Michelson wrote a book many years ago called The Beautiful Side of Evil. It's a great book. I would recommend it to people. Uh, but just to, just to warn you, there was a real wickedness that actually happened that she was indulging in with regards to New Age. There was a lot of satanic stuff that was involved. She just speaks here with regards to a church movement that she was a part of or in. And many of you would know it. It's known as the, the, the Vineyard Movement or the Toronto Blessing. And, and she speaks about her conversation with a pastor warning him of the danger of him leading the church into. Have a listen to what she says. My husband and I were originally part of the Vineyard Movement when it first started until we realized how apostate and how far from biblical understanding this organization was. John Wimber, head of the Vineyard Churches, said himself to me, when I brought to his attention the demonic manifestations and encounters and the people he was recommending who were hardcore, well-known channelers and occultists, he said to me, there, there, dear, our God is bigger than your big, bad old devil. The Holy Spirit will straighten it out. We don't want to quench the new young prophets by asking them to test it. Yet if you don't test it, how do you know that the voice in your head is really God? How do you know the message you sincerely claim and believe to be from Jesus is from Jesus? Well, that's a fair question. How do you know? How do you know? How do you know if, 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 if the voices inside your head are from the Lord? or not? In what way do you test it? How can you give an account for it? How do you know if what you're watching on YouTube with respect to an explanation of a certain passage of scripture is accurate? How do you know? How do you know if it's true? 
You see, if the word of God isn't your foundation, if the Bible isn't that which you hold so dearly and you will not stray away from, how do you know that what you're listening to, what's coming into your mind, what's filling your heart, the emotions and the feelings that are putting you on such a high, how do you know whether or not it's valid and it's true? Well, the modern church has, has, has given away the word of God. It's taken away the Bible. It's removed it from its pulpits and it's removed it from its sermons and its messages and it's replaced it. An exchange has occurred. An exchange has occurred and brings me to my next point. The exchange by many. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, Paul writes to him simply saying this, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. The time will come where there will be an exchange made. It's an exchange. It's an exchange that's being made. There is a moving away from the truth and a turning towards fables, towards stories, towards deceit. We saw in the previous message that when the truth itself is completely disregarded, there is a vacuum that needs to be filled and you cannot fill a vacuum where truth is being left with truth again. You can only fill it with deception. And that is what's happening. That's what's happened to the modern churches of today. That's what's happening in the falling away. Are we living in the time of this sign? Is this an indicator of of where we are? Iniquity was the inroad. We saw iniquity being the inroad that says, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. It's, it's iniquity is the first inroad. It's the first way in. Time, was Paul was te- speaking about this. He was still speaking about those times yet future. In the last days, perilous times shall come. Are we living in the time of this sign? It's incredible to be able to look at this and see it. But understand something, that there is never a denial of one doctrine without its replacement. There has to be an exchange. There's always an exchange. You are always believing something to be true. If it's not sound doctrine, then what is it? If you're not believing sound doctrine, then what are you believing? If you don't have the truth as your foundation, then what are you believing is true? You always believe something to be true. We don't step out of our house until we believe something is true. We always have a worldview, a position within our lives, a something that we believe to be true. We can either hold to the word of God as true or we can be exchanging that for whatever comes our way. Paul speaks about this also in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. He says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and coming and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. If you are not anchored in the truth of the Bible, if you're not anchored in this, if this isn't part of your daily devotion, if this isn't part of reading it every single day, If this isn't part of your life every single day, I'm afraid for you. I'm afraid for you. I genuinely am afraid for you. 
Because the amount of media that's being filtered in through your telephones, your television sets and every other form of device that you might have is going to take you away further and further from this book. I am genuinely afraid for you. I'm a, there, is, there is nobody outside of the scope of my fear and concern with respect to this book because it doesn't take much to turn us away. Easily carried about by every wind of doctrine if this book isn't our foundation. The Bible is our, is our compass. A lot of people have, have mentioned that. They've spoken about the Bible as your compass. Your compass. Um, the sweet psalmist of Israel speaks about it. He says that it is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It lights our way. It guides us. It leads us into all truth and it comforts us and blesses us. It helps us make understanding of the times that we're living in. But if it is as a compass just a couple of degrees off, and we can find ourselves not making landfall. We can find ourselves misdirected. You see, a message can be almost right. The preaching can be almost right. And that is the key with deception. It's never an out and out lie. Satan didn't do that with Eve. It's never an out and out lie. There's always the thin end of the wedge. It's always almost right and then the rest of it turns you right away because if you don't have the word of God if you don't know the word of God that almost right won't be picked up you won't discern it you won't discern the truth of it the next gentleman speaks to this also we need to have God's word hid in our heart that we won't sin against the Lord and we need to have the Holy Spirit so we can discern between what is right and what is almost right the counterfeit. It's close. Laying on our hands, we see it in the scripture, it's close, but it's not the same. It's a spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. It's prophecy, but its origin is not God, it's flesh, it's man, it's Satan. Satan trembles at the word of God because he knows how effective it is. He's concerned about the power of the Holy Spirit in a life of a believer who knows the word of God. These are the things that are almost right. Um, are we living in the time of the falling away? Jude speaks to this. He, he had a desire to write about their common salvation. And Jude is an incredible book. It, it is, it's one chapter long. And it's the second last book of the Bible. It's right before the book of Revelation. And you want to, you want to read what it says because it speaks so perfectly about the last days, the falling away most specifically because he too has a burden for the church. He too has a, has a tremendous grief recognizing that there is no greater sadness than the falling away of the church. He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto, you, unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's in Jude 3 and 4. Understand that these men don't deny speaking about God. They don't deny referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, but they deny God and they deny the Lord Jesus Christ by having within their message those things that are completely opposed to God and Jesus Christ. This is how they deny him. 
Their lips they honour him with, but their heart is far from them. This is how they deal with it. And this is why they deceive so many. Well, he spoke of Jesus. He used the Bible. You know, he opened the scriptures. And because you don't know the word of God, you don't know the context. You don't understand how it works, how it's come together. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. What we have defined in scripture is that there are certain men who creep in unawares, who preach the truth, who either preach the truth or they preach just what we want to hear. It's either one or the other. You know, they'll either give you the meat of the word of God or they'll continue to feed you with milk. The question that I have to you is, are you a milk addict? Because you may very well be. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12. I'll read to verse 14. For when the time... For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and now become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and and evil. How incredible is that? There's something about the word of God that builds up a sense of discernment within us. There's something about reading the scriptures on a regular basis. You don't have to know the Bible inside out. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a daily diet, a reasonable diet of the word of God. Because it discerns within you, it changes the discernment in you, that your senses are exercised to be able to discern good and evil. It's the only way you can recognise whether this stuff is true or whether it's false, whether it's good and holy or it's unholy. Wonderful video, a wonderful movie that was created called The American Gospel. This is just its introduction, but again, it gives you a little bit of an understanding of, well... What seemed to be the falling away? You know, God wants you healthy. I'm talking about your money. I broke the back of poverty with a $1,000 seed. I am blessed. I am prosperous. Your words will become your reality. When you name it and you claim it and it still doesn't happen, what am I doing wrong, God? I felt like I was walking on eggshells all the time because it felt as if at any moment I can go to hell because I'm not doing enough. You know what the Bible tells Christians to do? Examine yourself. Are you coming to God for God? Or are you coming to God so that you can ultimately get what your heart's truly after and that's something else? You can grow up in the church, hear a gospel about freedom, and still work your tail off trying to maintain the image that you're a good person. 99.9% of people are not bad people. They may make poor choices, but deep down, they've got a good heart. And my wife looked back at me and she said, why are you yelling at the television? And I said, because that's not the whole gospel. Following Christ is not about this list of things you need to go do for him. Following Christ is about this sense of awe over what he's done for you. That when you come in contact with him, you change. And when the heart changes, everything changes. Wow, like Jesus died for my sins. That's so convenient for me. I don't have to go to hell, but I'm going to go do my own thing. <laughs> which is not the gospel at all. What do you think happens when we die? We're going to be fine. 
If hell didn't exist, neither would this ministry. Seriously, I would be out surfing. I'd have long hair, just living for myself, but I can't. You, you don't want to burn, do you? Right. Which, like, if that's the best message you have, that's just a crap message. The answer for being unloving is not to be overtolerant. That's not the right answer. Welcome to real Christianity. The origins of the prosperity gospel are not Christian at all. It is cultic theology that has been wrapped in some Christian lingo. You've been accused of getting the gospel wrong. It's a damnable heresy that hurts people and sends them to hell. People ain't worrying about no blood on no cross. They're worrying about how they're going to make it through the day. Is this gospel, is this good news primarily about you? I am a victor, not a victim. I'm going to live a long, productive, faith-filled life. Or is this a message about God? The cross embodies both the wrath and the love of God. We see that as a contradiction, and yet God doesn't. The cost of accepting the gospel could be your family. The people you love most in the world, you must love Jesus more. But it's worth it. I opened that word, and nothing was ever the same. Go make disciples. That is the call of every believer. I've got to share this news. If I want to believe God for a $65 million plane, you cannot stop me. Christianity has been built and has carried through the generations on the blood of men, not on the wealth. How can I just continue to live my life as if this isn't true? So I abandoned my version of the American dream and I said, I will do what I can to take the gospel to the nations. I recommend that um, uh, that, that that video. I recommend that film. It's um, it's well worth seeing because it gives you a great picture of the falling away. It gives you a great understanding of the errors of the Laodicean church, and it shows you also with absolute clarity how popular it is. It dominates the church age at this time. First Timothy chapter four. Verses 1 and 2, Paul says to Timothy, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And I see a very strange vision right now where I see crowns within crowns within crowns within crowns within crowns within crowns. And as soon as you take the crown off and place it on the child, I see like a pyramid of crowns upon the child's head. And they take the largest one off and place it on another. And there's another one there. And I see this, this, um, I feel like there's this, it's like a mountain of provision of anointing. The more you give away, the more you will receive, says the Lord. So right now, I'm sensing, I'm sensing really strongly. Uh, <laughs> it's going to sound a little odd, but too late. Uh, I want you just to t take in the spirit realm, that crown that's on your head and just place it upon someone else. They're going to just get wrecked all over the room. You just, gonna, okay, don't, don't do it. Don't do it like it doesn't matter. Do it in the most impartation, most impartation that you've ever believed for right now. 
you're going to impart to each other. So you're going to take it, you're going to put it on somebody else's head, a watch, and then say, more Lord. More, Lord. Everybody, place, place that anointing, that crown, that gift upon someone else's head. <laughs> Keep praying. Every single one of you, impartation, legacy, 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 legacy. Legacy, increase your glory. More, Lord. Try it again. Try it again. Try it again. Try it again. More, Lord. Fire. There's fire. Place it on their heads. Find somebody. I think he's got it. Shake up, Baba. Fire! Place it on another one's head. Fire! Shh. Legacy! Legacy! There is never a denial of one doctrine without its, without its replacement. There is always an exchange, as I mentioned. We exchange the Spirit of God for seducing spirits. When we won't trust the Spirit of the Lord to turn us towards holiness, we trust a seducing spirit that turns us to the lust of the flesh. We give our hearts over to our own lusts. And when we do that, we simply have no idea how far we're going to fall. I'll just, I'll just do this today. I'll just do this today. God will forgive me. I'll, I'll just do this today. You've got no idea how far you're going to fall. You have no idea. You have no idea that when you flick one domino, how many other dominoes are going to be falling directly after it. You have no idea. The Lord speaks of, of us staying pure in the knowledge of the Lord. Now, each one of us fail at that without question, but how far and how much do we fail in it? When my children were little, when they were young, because they're old now, uh, the last one's nearly 20, and once you click over 20, it's all downhill from there. So, but when they were young, I remembered that one would push another and I remembered telling, <laughs> telling them, when you push, you lose control. You have no idea of that end, how that's going to finish up. No idea. You don't know, are they going to trip on an obstacle? Are they going to hit their head on a corner? Is it going to kill them? You don't know because there is a complete loss of control. And when we dabble with sin, that's exactly what we're doing. We have no idea how far we are going to fall. That's probably a topic of another sermon, but it gives you an understanding that when we reject the spirit of the living God that has authored the word of God, we have no idea what other seducing spirits are going to take its place. There will be an exchange. That's inevitable. But you don't know how deep that's going to take you. The Bible does refer to spirits as seducing. That's one of the words that the scripture uses. If a spirit is trying to entice you into believing something that is not scriptural, the last thing that they're going to try to do is warn you of the lack of authenticity. The devil never walks into a room and tells you he's there to destroy you. He's going to go ahead and give you something that you're going to want, and he'll provide as much of it as you can possibly take and make you grateful for the offer. 
that church that you've seen that young girl clearly seduced by some other sort of spirit within her is Bethel Church in the United States. It's a church that many people that I know are believing is a good church, a faithful church. It's not. It's a church that is filled with seducing spirits and entities that you don't want to have uh, anywhere near your children. Its music is seductive. It's designed, again, to put you into an altered state of consciousness and to make you feel good about yourself. The scary part is that they use just enough scripture to think, make you think that that's really Jesus and they, and they call it Christianity and they call it a church and they use biblical terms. And innocent people that are looking for God because of the, the things that are going on in the churches and are finding the counterfeit and their faith is actually being stolen from them. And so then when tragedies come in, into their lives and they will because you're opening yourself up to a dark force that will make sure tragedies come in. You're going to realize that that's not Jesus and he's not, it's not going to help you. That the people that you've surrounded yourself with are not interested in your pain. They're only interested in themselves. You don't have a minister that's there for you that that will pray for you and hurt for you like the Bible says. You have people that are caught up in themselves by their own lust. And it really disturbs me that innocent people are being drawn into deception and, and coming from the darkness that I came out of and knowing that they're being drawn into that and they don't even know it that I did that myself, that I went back to a force that I came out of that Jesus had set me free from. Though I didn't know I was doing that because I thought that was Jesus. But I, that I went back into that, that I held the hands, held hands of the devil. What's our problem? Our problem is a love of lies. Our problem is a love of lies. And that's the problem of the church that is falling away. It loves lies. And the last point, and I'll close with this, and it won't be long. Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 22 says, Because with lies ye have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad, and strengthened the hands of the wicked, that he should not return from his wicked way by promising him life. Many pastors around the world will not tell their congregations the truth about their sin because it is unpopular. Rather, they strengthen them in their sin. They promise them life. They say grace, 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 grace. It's all grace. They have such an incredible focus on grace that sin itself is belittled. It's made inconsequential. It's made as if there is no significant problem within these people's lives and with their hearts, he promises them life. He won't turn the wicked from his wicked ways, but in place of that, he endorses their sin. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 31 says, The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests bear rule by their means and my people love to have it so. And what will you do in the end thereof? 
Isaiah speaks in similar tones in Isaiah chapter 30, verses 9 to 10. This is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. We love lies. We seem to love to be lied to. Seems to be part of the nature of the world. The world seems to love to be lied to. Anything that's sensational, anything, whatever it is, it seems to love to be lied to. Are we living in the time of these signs? Due to the lies many are willing to believe, the Bible also says that God will send them strong delusion, that they would believe a lie. Our passage this morning was found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I just want to go back to that for a moment. Verse 6. Paul says, and now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they might be damned, who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Beloved, this is exactly what's happening. This is what's happening in many churches today. This is a part of the falling away. There is a love for lies. There is a love for deception. There is a love for feelings and emotions and highs. They tune themselves into music because the music makes them feel good and they desperately want to feel good. But they won't go on their knees before the Lord. They won't go on their knees before God. They they hear like a dog returning to its vomit. They go back to the things that got them in trouble in the first place. And the church is falling away. Run out of time. There's there's more to talk about here. If you don't want to be part of a church that is falling away, read your Bible. Read your Bible. I mean, uh, praise God for those of you who 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 give financially to the church praise god for my, for many of you who 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 contribute what is called a tithe even of their income you've set yourself a a a percentage and you've and you've gone for it and and that's wonderful and it's noble and it's good to see do you tithe your time do you tithe your time have you ever thought about tithing your time do you give that to the lord not realising that it comes back to you in multiple ways. We have 24 hours in the day. It could equate to two and a half hours. Could you spend that with the Lord? Could you spend time with him reading the word of God and in prayer? Could you spend an hour a day reading the scriptures? Can you devour that wonderful book? Can you fit it in? I'm sure that you can. I'm sure that you can. In fact, I know that you can. I know that it's a matter of resetting priorities, but beloved, I'm telling you that if we are living in the time of the signs, there is no better investment of your time because it will not only transform you, 
but it will have an impact so great on the people that are around you that you will turn many hearts from their wicked ways. And blessed is the one that does so because it will hide a multitude of sins. So this message is for you, Christian. It's for you. Will you tithe your time? Will you separate that in whichever way you want to separate it? Read the Bible for an hour and pray for an hour. Will you tithe your time? Will you spend that time with the Lord that will ensure that you are not ever going to be part of the falling away? Or will you just go with the flow? Will you just go with the flow? Any dead fish can float downstream. And it takes effort to go against the flow. Let's pray. Heavenly God, we thank you, our Father. We thank you, our Lord, for the word of God. We thank you, dear Lord, for the wonderful truth of the Bible. And we ask you, dear God, that each one of us, Father, who are listening to this message would be discerning in their own hearts and will convict their own spirit that they would read the wonderful word and that they would spend time with the Lord because we are living in a time such as this. We are unique for this time and there is something, dear Lord, within that that we need to be able to share the hope of Jesus Christ to those that are around us. I ask and pray that you would be with my friends, those who are listening in and watching. I pray, dear Lord, that you would have pricked their hearts this evening and they might be transformed by the word of the living God. We thank you, Lord, for this time and for this blessing and also for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.